BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis. I'm not important. It, it's it's so super to have Jacqueline Coley joining me once again as the co-host for this episode, Jacqueline, because it is Super Sunday in a mere matter of days. And I know that we're not here to talk football, but you and I are big fans. So my question to you is, do you do Super Bowl parties? Do you go big? Do you stay home by yourself and watch it? What's the Jacqueline Coley? Play um, here. I'm more of a let me host a party or let me be at home. I don't want to go to other people's parties necessarily. And I haven't hosted a party in a long time, but I'm much more like basically I don't want to be where I have to wear jeans to watch the Super Bowl. So wait, so if you're hosting a party, you don't have to wear pants. Jeans? Is that what you're saying? No, really? You've been to my house. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're well, I... house pants, but they're house pants. I'm just such an old man when it comes to this now because I don't like going to Super Bowl parties. I want to hear the game. I want to hear the broadcast. I want to be able to focus on it. And so it's just me and Molly, the wonder dog most years. But the last time and maybe the only time since I've been in Los Angeles that I had people to my place to watch the Super Bowl, uh, one of those participants was the young man who's going to be our special guest today. Before we introduce him and a very funny story about that Super Bowl, we got to talk about the movie that we have as our subject today. It is Suicide Squad. Ah, ah, it is the, the, not a Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad directed by James Gunn. And that is, of course, 90% certified fresh on the tomato meter with an 82% audience score. So you had Suicide Squad come out in what, 2016? And we've already covered that on an episode of RT is Wrong with our good friend Roxy Stryer. And now we're talking about the Suicide Squad with another good friend of ours, the one, the only, he started out as a mere intern, in which point in time he was known as Josh the Intern, and then he was upgraded to engineer, so he was known as Josh the Engineer. He is Josh Tapia by birth, but we know him as JTE. JTE, you're back. How in the hell are you? I'm doing really good. You know, I'm still, you know, speaking of Super Bowls, and yes, the... It was the game where Malcolm Butler made the amazing interception at the one yard line. Yep. I then exploded out of my seat and I, for some reason I had to do something. I think I believe I started jumping on your bed. I like yes, ran you to your bedroom, started jumping on your bed. Molly started attacking me cause she didn't know what was going on. And I, you know, I don't apologize for it. What am I supposed to do? It's one of the greatest moments in Super Bowl history. And I, I you have to do something with all that energy. I, if I could have got outside, I think I would have started, I think I would like Superman. I would have just achieved flight. I would have flew right out of LA <laughs> and probably straight to Boston because, 
you know, and then Tom Brady just retired. So, you know, I'm a very emotional person at this moment. Uh, thanks to him. I have no apologies. Yeah, it, you're the only person that I've seen Molly the Wonder Dog bite, and she had every right to. You're not going to apologize, and Molly's not going to apologize, so the relationship will continue to be frosty these some seven years later, but you're, you're doing a lot now because you have this new podcast called Film Review Weekly, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, Film Review Weekly. It's exactly like the title says it does. There's <laughs> nothing, uh, no surprises here. There's a Film Review Weekly. I will say we started at the end of last year. We went on a little bit of hiatus because my uh, co-stars actually did some international travel. Jacob Blunden, Taylor, they literally had to kind of go from the Australia to here just to do a little L.A. tour. You got to hang out with them, Mark. And it's just fun to actually have a conversation about movies, which we're doing here. I love, yeah. I need I need a venue to let out my nerd rage or my nerd love. And that's really what this podcast is all about. Yeah, well, that's what we do here too. So is it going to be rage or love when it comes to the Suicide Squad? 90% certified fresh in the tomato meter. So JTE, my simple kickoff question to you, <laughs> is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about that score? Kind of. Like, I don't think it deserves the score it has. I think it's too high, but it's not a movie where I left the theater and was like, oh, what was that? It was a movie where I was like, it was fine. It's not bad. It's kind of a little bit disappointing in some aspects, but kind of cool in others. I kind of have a lot to say about this movie, so I'm really curious to hear what you guys think because I kind of need to bounce off you guys to try to find out where my true feelings for this movie is. Basically, he's like, I need you to commit so I can know where to hit you in the jungle. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I need to watch this is a you. Tactic. I need this the is game a tactic. tape. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say Rotten Tomatoes is right, Jack. And I, I love watching this movie. I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. I had it hyped up for me by a lot of my friends saying, oh, it's so fast paced and funny and action packed and ridiculous and it, just nuts. And it was. And it lived up to the billing that it had gotten. So for me, I think that James Gunn lending his talents to this movie was just such the perfect mesh. I thought the cast looked like they were having a great time doing it, and that's why I had fun watching it. So how about Jacqueline Coley? Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about 90%? Um, no, it's a, look, 90%, that's a little strong, as I like to say. I think that's, you know, James Gunn's humor. Because what's so interesting about The Suicide Squad is it borrows so much from, like, 70s, exploitation war movies sort of things, you know, very sort of like Dirty Dozen is like the one that people think of on the high, but there's literally like hundreds of different languages and also like US versions of that same, like the ragtag group. And so I really liked how much it paid homage to that kind of stuff, you know, like very low rent exploitation stuff that only ran in one theater in LA. I think James Gunn saw those movies and he put all of that energy into this. And so I really, I, I dug that. Is it got all the connective tissue it needs to make it work? No, I think there's a lot of like, what? No, um, <laughs> but I had fun. It's a very, very fun movie. It is so fun. And even if you didn't like it, it is so quick. It's over before you even had a chance to think about it. It does move. The, the, this baby hums along like one of the vehicles that Batman was on in the first Suicide Squad, but not in this Suicide Squad necessarily. We have our own Amanda Waller. She goes by the name Producey Lucy. We're going to hear from her in just a sec. But first, Jacqueline Coley is going to do us the favor. All of our listeners and all of our viewers from around the world. Jacqueline, what is the Suicide Squad about? Well, 
it's kind of hard to say what the Suicide Squad about other than to say they're a suicide squad and they're going on suicide missions. But this particular instance, we open up, we see Michael Rooker playing one of the sort of ragtag group of criminals turned saviors. And they're assembling a new group, which includes some of the old folks from the previous iteration, including Captain Boomerang, Rick Flagg. We have a new character, Mr. Arm Fall Off Dude. It's played by Billion, where you can just beat each other. And they're getting ready to like go onto this island and sort of kill these mercenaries who have taken over. And basically what ends up happening is uh, through a course of some of them just drowning, some of, a lot of them not making it, and also Amanda Waller killing some of them for not following her orders. They actually end up killing that first group for the most part, or half of them coming up missing. Also, Harley Quinn was in that group as well. Until the second half, we have a new Suicide Squad, and that's actually the one that we're focused in on. So there was like a plan B group, and that includes Bloodsport, the Peacemaker, Ratcatcher, and they're this sort of like new group. And they're trying to overthrow or sort of uh, rescue, well, overthrow this Spanish guy on this island. Turns out that Harley Quinn, who was perceived to be missing, is actually on the island and she's being wooed by the dictator. And this new Suicide Squad is like, oh, my gosh, we should go and like save her <laughs> because we need to uh, get her on the squad. Because the reason why they're trying to get on the island is they're doing all of these experiments to try and make superhuman individual. And it's done by the thinker who is uh Malcolm Tucker from In the Thick of It. And he also played Doctor Who. And I cannot think of his actual name right now when I think about it. But anyway, his character um, has been doing all of these. And the biggest experiment that they have is the big giant starfish. So after they try to save Harley and she ends up saving herself, they all head towards the thinker. And they find out that the thinker has been using these starfish to plant them on people's heads and sort of like control them. Um, also, we have this random dude named Polka Dot Man whose mom was awful. And so now he has these blisters, polka dots that he throws on people and they blow up. The Polka Dot Man uses it to try to attack it. Rat Catcher summons all of her rats. Her and Bloodsport have this sort of pair where they're trying to make sure they get each other out of there. Needless to say, they all come together. Harley throws the javelin through the eye of the starfish and they end up saving the day, but not before Peacemaker tries to kill all of them. They decapitate him. And then the post credit scene, we figure out that he's going to be leading a new group. And that's how we got the Peacemaker TV series. Boom. I feel like you just came home from school and I asked you like what happened today and you didn't tell me anything about any of your classes. You just told me this like intense story about what happened on the soccer field at recess. And I'm like, wow, that was that took a lot of twists and turns. That was very exciting. Stuff. By the way, I've left so much out because so much happens in this movie. Some of the movies that we watch, it's like nothing happens. Like nothing really happens in Mad Max. They drive there. They drive back, you know. This movie, too many things happen. Too many things happen. But I got to him. There's so much. And Peter Capaldi playing the Peter uh, Capaldi, the thank you. But I just movie. call him Malcolm Tucker in my brain because he's an incredible... The character that Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character was based off of somewhat in Veep is Malcolm Tucker in, in the thick of it. And he is a sweary, sweary British man. Producing Lucy, your thoughts on the Suicide Squad? Are you more of our Amanda Waller or more of our The Thinker? <laughs> oh, I don't want to. I don't think she wants a to mixture either. of both. <laughs> I'm with Josh on this one. I'm not convinced it should be so high. Uh, I there was a lot. I saw it a little late, so there was a lot of people. Oh my god, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. So when I went, I was like, "What? Did, what?" 
Really? There was something missing for me and I don't know what it is. And maybe you guys will figure that out. But something sort of fell flat. I love James Gunn. I think he's awesome. But I was like, something's not right about this movie. It's like not it's not hitting. Yeah, I, I think I have a reason why that we'll get into once we start talking about the actual film itself. And we're talking about this movie in particular because Peacemaker is just a monster right now streaming and everybody seems to be enjoying that show, which is obviously the spinoff from the Suicide Squad starring John Cena and company. So this movie came out, I don't know what, a dozen years ago, 20? Oh no, last year? What? This movie's very, very recent. And so to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of its release, maybe some of those critics hyping it up for people like Lucy and myself, we turn it over to our expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan, for our segment called Two Minutes with Tim. He's a fellow Patriots fan, JTE. Tim, take it away. Two Minutes with Tim. For critics and audiences, The Suicide Squad from 2021 delivered what Suicide Squad from 2016 couldn't. Gleeful mayhem, strong characterizations, and genuine chemistry within its collection of eccentric supervillains. So why was it a disappointment at the box office? You could chalk it up to a global pandemic or the fact that it hit theaters and HBO Max on the same day. But a lot of people thought the main problem was that the title was too similar to differentiate itself from the predecessor in the minds of moviegoers. The Suicide Squad is certified fresh at 90% on the tomato meter with 361 reviews, and it has an 82% audience score. And just for comparison, 2016's Suicide Squad is rotten at 26%. We covered that one in a previous episode. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Tim Grierson of Screen International wrote, An invigorating blast of bloody, disreputable comic book cinema, The Suicide Squad turns its titular criminals into a collection of lovable antiheroes set loose in a dazzling, surprisingly emotional adventure. However, in a rotten review, Bilga Ibiri of New York Magazine slash Vulture wrote, The lack of narrative momentum or compelling character arcs starts to wear on you. The jokes get old, too. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, The story isn't amazing, but the -the over-the-top action and sometimes literally side-splitting gags make this Suicide Squad a major improvement. So that's The Suicide Squad. And while there's few details so far on the forthcoming sequel, I'm holding out hope it will be called A Suicide Squad. I don't know. Back to you guys. (laughs) Thank you, Tim. You know, I'm just coming off of two years of referring to my team as The Washington football team, not a a team. Tom Brady quarterbacked a team, but we are the football team. And now we're the Washington commanders, which I'm happy about. And uh, I hope everybody else gets on board. So let's transition right into movie talk. Let's get into the meat of this movie. Hit the music, Brian. Brian hitting the buns, uh, the ones and twos there. He also has some history with the Schmozno program, as does JTE. So JT, you and I, we, we've been to so many screenings together over the years. Did you see Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad at a movie theater like the weekend it opened up? Was this movie that you were looking forward to? Were you like, I don't know really why we're doing this so quickly afterwards? What was your first reaction when you immediately saw the Suicide Squad right afterwards? Yeah, I got to see it a few days early thanks to a friend of ours, Greg Alba from The Real Rejects. He had a little private screening and it's one of those things where you walk out of theater and you're like, okay, I didn't like it, I think, as much as I was supposed to. But most of the people coming out of theater were loving the movie. So you got to be that guy who's like, yeah, I liked it. I mean, <laughs> everyone's over here praising it, how funny it was. When I left the theater, the one of the word that kept coming back to me was familiar. I feel like a lot of these, 
a lot of aspects of this movie felt like they were grabbed from other movies, even from other James Gunn movies. As you know, I'm a big Stallone fan, and I was excited to see him playing King Shark, <laughs> but I couldn't help but feel like that was just an avatar for Groot. It's just another big, strong guy who only says very few words. Bring it back to Idris Elba. Like, I love Idris Elba. He's one of my favorite actors. To give him a very similar storyline to Will Smith, like, I remember a lot of people were saying, oh, are they just recasting the role? Like, no, it's a whole new character, yet they give him the same story plot with his daughter from the first film. And I'm like, why would you do that? You have this whole new character. I don't even know exactly what his powers were. He just looked like another version of Deadshot. Like, I was like, what's happening here? I feel very familiar in a lot of aspects of the film. So therefore, I couldn't help but leave the theater like, Wow, James Gunn is known for having this crazy sensibility of like hard R action gore, which you do get in this movie. But I kind of wish it felt a little bit more original in some ways. Again, this is called The Suicide Squad. They added a the, (laughs) but it feels very similar plot wise in a lot of ways to the first movie. So I left a little underwhelmed and comedy is a very subjective thing. You know, a lot of people in my theater were laughing out loud. I never really laughed out loud while watching this movie. I chuckled. I, you know, had a little smirk on my face. Whereas the Guardians movies, I love those Guardian films. I even love the second one. I laughed out loud throughout both those movies. And I'm wondering if maybe James Gunn for me, I need that PG-13 barrier. Maybe I think his jokes are just a little bit more clever and they just work for me better than when he's able to have the free reign, just go full rated R, blow up heads, have people get gored out. I don't know. It might just be a subjective thing for me for James Gunn. Maybe I like a more subdued James Gunn. I like a PG-13 James Gunn because I think he's a little more creative and he's a little bit funnier for me, at least. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It, it, it's like you're reading off my teleprompter because I'm always on the on the soapbox of movies don't need to be R to be like hardcore and funny. And, and I even said that when Deadpool was coming out, when everybody said, oh, it has to be R rated. I'm like, well, you, you can make funny things that are that are violent without making it R rated. I think it does work for Deadpool, but I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. But I think that, Jacqueline, that's one of the appeals to a lot of folks who walked into the Suicide Squad because. Look, we live in, in a day and age when you can reboot, you can have an, I, I don't know, a, a superhero movie come out one week and if people don't like it, all right, we'll just remake it and do it different and maybe people like it two months later. And so with this, it was a super quick turnaround and I was shocked at how positive the reviews coming out of that opening weekend of the Suicide Squad was because we just had this one that was very debatable as to its quality and so now you have this one. So... Where were you when this movie came out? Were you like, oh, this is it? Did we need this movie? Uh, I don't think we needed it. I can definitely say that. I enjoyed it, but it's not as if I was like sitting here. Like, I feel like the best parts about this movie, to JTE's point, I've seen in other versions. One of my favorite moments is Harley Quinn in the dress with her like, you know, atomic blonde, like I'm going to fight my way out the door moment. That's incredible. Felt like just so awesome action filmmaking. But that was Birds of Prey. That's just like the highlight reel of what she did in Birds of Prey. So, yeah, so uh, definitely not necessary. However, I honestly don't have a good answer for you. And I'm never stumped on that. I don't have a good answer for you. I think for me, it's like I think everything that is could be a benefit to it would also be like a, a diss on the other side. And I think for most folks, it wasn't about the familiarity of it. It was the fact that they did not like what David Ayer did so much 
that James Gunn got to get the swing of this is exactly what we wanted. Does that make sense? And and let's be fair about this, too. I mean, I think folks were excited to see James Gunn as sort of a comeback pitch. You could even go as so strong as to say an FU because Disney had let him go because some burial tweets had surfaced and 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 Disney fired him from making Guardians of the Galaxy three at the time. And so then it's like, oh, man, well, this guy, we, we, a lot of people still think he's brilliant. What's he going to do next? He's going to make a comic book movie for the other team. And so it, 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 Josh, it really was like, you know, Tom Brady leaving New England, which is all buttoned up and proper. And then you go down to Tampa where it's Bruce Arians is the coach. It's like, yeah, do whatever the hell you want. You, 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 you call the plays. And he did. And I think that I think that's why the R rating works for this. And I think that that's why all of the, the, the swearing and the and the gory violence, the grotesqueness of a lot of the <laughs> combat scenes play so well is because it is sort of, I think, fans feeling like James Gunn can just do whatever he wants to in this giant sandbox that he gets to play in and not worry about the initial Suicide Squad film that had come out. Because I think that's the best way to watch this movie is to not even consider Suicide Squad as a movie that happened. This is a totally, it, it's not going to borrow any of the DNA from that. It's going to borrow some of the cast, but it's not going to rely on any of the storytelling in that movie to tell this movie. So when we get to your favorite scene, you still think this is a fresh movie, JT. So what yeah. is the scene for you that, that makes it a fresh film? That's an interesting question because there is not a scene that immediately jumps to my mind. Like usually there's a movie I really like. I'm like, oh, that scene was amazing. I liked all the scenes. Uh, I guess the, I, the scene or the sequence I like the most is probably when it jumps back in time during that final action sequence where it's like John Cena is about to shoot rat girl. And all of a sudden we jump back and we get to see what happened like the last 10 minutes previous. I just like that whole structure and the way Idris Alba falls down. It's almost like mortal Kombat. The screen has them on each side <laughs> and it's like, they're about to fight and you're like, Oh, we're about to get a really cool fight. That's probably the sequence to me. And also King shark like falls out and has this epic slow motion, ripping the guy apart. But even that scene, let me down a little bit because I thought it really built up for King Shark was going to go like berserk mode, like Wolverine berserk mode. He really just rips one guy in half and that's it. And I was like, oh, I thought he was really going to tear it up Wolverine style. So every time I got excited for this movie, something kind of let me down a little bit. And also, I was going to say the scene in the very beginning where he kills off all these character actors that we really kind of love and got to know. But Again, it reminded me of Deadpool 2. I've seen this before. I've seen the same joke done before in another film, a comic book movie, just a few years ago. So that familiar, again, just nothing really surprised me, really. I wanted to go in and just be surprised and be shocked, but everything just felt like Ben there kind of done that for me. It, it tipped its hand when... It, it's one of my favorite scenes, though, is <laughs> when, Weas when Weasel jumps in the water and we're like going on this mission. <laughs> <laughs> it just drowns. It's like, wait, that's the end of Weasel. It just, it, it just sinks, and it's just so funny how how shoddily planned this whole genius scheme was. But maybe were they even supposed to survive at all? And so you have that in the back of your head as you're watching all these different action sequences play out in various parts of the island. So it, it was a joke that's been told before and not even in Deadpool 2. It reminded me of MacGruber when we get the whole team together, uh, yeah. we get them in the van and then the van explodes. So well, it's, it's, it's one of those they, kind they of things. They killed Captain Boomerang, though. The one thing I could say Jai Courtney is really good in is probably the first <laughs> Suicide Squad movie. He's been in a lot of movies that just haven't lived up to 
like I watched Spartacus when it first came out in stars and he was a standout in that first season. And then Captain Boomerang was the first time in a big budget film where I'm like, oh, oh, this guy's great. I was like, he's really fun in this movie. I think he gets one line in the first 10 minutes of this film and they kill him off. Like, okay, Jai, come in for one day. We're going to kill you off. Even though you were one of the few things in that first film that I could really shine a light on and be like, oh man, Jai Courtney finally really good in a role. And they kill him like nothing. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just exactly. upset we, we, we really didn't know who to trust because we didn't know who was going to yeah. be surviving to the next frame. Yeah, that was what was interesting about this. Um, for folks that don't know, Michael Rooker and uh, James Gunn have a very long term friendship. He's put him in pretty much all of his movies uh, going back to like his early days. And so when I saw Michael Rooker, I was like, oh, OK, like he's going to like give his boy like a real like big movie to like run and do everything. And then he kills him along with everyone else. And I was like, oh, this is not that tea. That being said, Obviously, when I knew that Idris Elba wasn't in that first group, I was very worried for every single one of them. I was like, there's not <laughs> enough movie stars near this. Like Margot Robbie's here, but I'm, I know she's making it. Like, I know she's making it. She has a this. I, I, it's hard to say that she's better or worse as Harley Quinn than she was in the previous Suicide Squad film. It, Josh, what are your thoughts on Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, did we get more of the character and that paid off for you? Was that one of the highlights for you or did you just think that it didn't really hit the mark? You know, I think I liked her more in Birds of Prey. Obviously, she's front and center in that film. Uh, I do like her in this movie. I like her when she gets to interact with the team. Much like the first Suicide Squad, I think her chemistry with Will Smith was one of the strong points. But I don't love the side story that she kind of goes on with this dictator. I think this film lacks a real villain throughout the whole film you kind of got these like no-name generals and at the very end starro is revealed to be the big villain and i feel bad for starro i don't even think he's the villain in this movie he has a line where he says i was happy and floating in space just staring at the stars and it like broke my heart i was like this poor guy he was just floating <laughs> in space we, we threw him in a spaceship and put him in experiments for like 20 years or whatever i'm like i feel bad i felt more emotioned for that starro bad guy apparently the bad guy than I did for almost anybody else in the movie. I was happy, floating, staring at the stars. Uh, I do think the stylized stuff with Harley Quinn's really cool. I think that sequence with the dress, you know, again, nothing I haven't seen in Birds of Prey, but she is so good at this role that every time she's on screen, you can't help but just have a good time. And I liked towards the end of the film when she finally reunites with the team and gets to have that camaraderie with all the other guys on the team and just kind of joke around. So for me, she's great as always. She's kind of the MVP of this series at this point. Uh, but I think Birds of Prey is definitely something I would go to if I really wanted like my Harley Quinn kick. I would go to Birds of Prey before this movie. You on that train as well, Jacqueline? Uh, I think yes and no, because like so I agree with you that she is better. But I really like how they're able to one of the the issues with Harley Quinn is because she was introduced as such a, a part of the Joker was finding compelling stories with her outside of the Joker storyline. And so this is another sort of bite at that apple. And I think it's like the other side of that. So I, I think they need to do this. If they're going to continue to tell stories for this character, you do need to show different sides of her. Like I actually don't want to see her the way you see her in birds of prey. I want to see a different, like, okay, how can she be, almost like a glorified B player. You know what I mean? Like she's like not necessarily a part of the main, I can't say narrative because Lord knows it is not 
<laughs> not heavy on that, <laughs> but she's not a part of that sort of main thrust forward as far as the, uh, where the movie is going. But when she comes in and out, she's still dynamic and we still miss her absence and then get excited with her coming back. And I think that's actually a better place for her to be. If you look at later Marvel, that's what they're doing with later Marvel. These characters like look at Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. Like that's that's a good place for her to be. I understand that concept from a writer's standpoint, even if it doesn't make this the most, I would say, careful and like planned out uh, plotting as far as character. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the research that uh, our buddy Mark Hoffmeyer did for us. It's interesting to see the the creation, I'll say, of the character that Idris Elba plays, where if you're playing Bloodsport and so everybody is going to assume that, wait, okay, are you, is this like a, a reboot of of Will Smith? Is this, is this something else? Is this like the Deadshot character? What are we looking at here? And it was a character that Gunn pretty much had Idris Elba in mind the entire time playing it. And that's why Idris Elba apparently signed on is because he wanted to work with James Gunn. And I think that in a movie like this, where there's so much chaos happening and all these characters just getting picked off. Like, it's like it, we see all these people and I'm so happy that it, Pete Davidson's in it. And then, oh, Pete Davidson's not in it anymore. It, you need some sort of anchor. I think Idris Elba has always been great as that sort of anchor. So I guess he'd be the closest thing to a character you can really glom onto and kind of hitch your wagon to in this movie. And I think that that's why I enjoyed it as much as I did that. And that epic fight between Flag and Peacemaker would be like w w another one of the scenes I'd really point to where it, you could just tell how much fun James Gunn is having making this movie. And a lot of times people it, it nitpick and they say, well, you can't review a movie as being fun. That doesn't make any sense. If I'm having a good time, then that's fun for me. And I especially embrace that when it feels like it's not always the case, but it just feels like to me that making the movie, you can't have a bad time making that movie. The way that it comes off, it seems like there was so much joy on that set. And I have to say, there's another movie currently in theaters where this same thing does apply. And I love these movies because I like to show them to people when people think critics are only about, you know, the next two full esque sort of like French new wave auteur who's doing experimental cinema where they're in their bathroom <laughs> staring at toothpaste. Like, no, that's not the tea. They like critics like movies like The Suicide Squad, which has no coherent plot. It does not. It does not. It's got awesomeness. And the other movie is Jackass. That movie is going to be certified <laughs> fresh in a matter of minutes. It, it like I have not seen critics so jubilantly happy to watch penises get hit <laughs> and manipulated on screen as they are for this Jackass movie. Do not like I just want to like every time I'm just going to stand there and, and abject condemnation. Jackass is certified fresh. <laughs> um, it's it's not too far of a stone to throw from this movie, The Suicide Squad 2, Jackass, because it's another ragtag group. You got some veterans, you got some newcomers. Shout out to my bud, Rachel Wolfson. And then you also have this not really a coherent plot. It's just a bunch of different random missions where someone's going to get hurt. And Josh, can you because you've been reviewing movies for so long. Didn't make it all the way out either. Sorry, I didn't make it all the way out either. <laughs> True. <laughs> what is it about a movie like this? Like, why do you think the, the tomato meter score is so high for this movie, Josh? Do you think it is just because we all had such a ball watching it, even though it doesn't necessarily follow a lot of the common tropes that you would think for cinema or Oscar worthy fare? It's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not sure I could give you a complete answer. Why? Because I'm wrestling with the movie myself as I talk about it. 
I think it is a fun time. Like, listen, even though I, I sound kind of negative on this movie, it's just because I wanted to love it instead. I just liked it. I would totally recommend anybody who just wants to have a good, a good time in a theater. Listen, a lot of that, like Jacqueline said, everybody goes in the theater to see the best picture winner, Nomadland. Some people just want to go to a movie and have a good time and forget whatever worries they have during the week and, you know, whatever's going on at home. The theater is sometimes a place where you can just go eat a bunch of popcorn like Mark Ellis, sit down and have entertaining time for two hours. And this is a movie that does that, really. It has a great cast. I think one of the strongest things this movie has going for it is the cast. There's so many likable people in here, and they all bring they all bring it. I think nobody in this cast is a weak point. I think everyone's great throughout, like, even to the Pete Davidson has, like, one little line, one little scene. But if you're a Pete Davidson fan, you're going to like, oh, that's a lot of fun. So for me, I think it's a movie that, again... Rotten Tomatoes, even though it says 92%, that doesn't mean every person thought it was one of the best movies of the year. They just had a good time. And I think this movie is a, pretty much a definition of a good time when it comes to a comic book, big budget, R-rated movie. So I think that's what it comes down to, really. It came out at a very unique time in our history because you look at the domestic box office of The Suicide Squad, $56 million. That sounds like a complete bomb. That it, how can that, how can you be talking about this movie? How can it be so well reviewed? And, and this few people saw it well debuted in a time when the pandemic was happening. And so it was also on streaming at the same time where I think a lot of folks came to it by comparison, Wonder Woman 1984 only made $47 million domestically. The worldwide box office is a little more encouraging. Both of those movies tie with $167 million internationally. In addition to all of the streaming and, and selling streaming memberships that they got. I, I just go back to where Batman and Robin happened and people hated it so passionately that it seemed like Batman was dead, that you could not make another Batman movie. And then it took eight seemingly long years. It was only eight, eight years between that and Batman Begins, but it felt like a lifetime. And then we get Batman again. Oh, and this is so awesome. But now we can just sort of snap our fingers and reboot it, an entire movie. We can just say that's we didn't like what you did with that. Make it this way. Is this a good thing going forward, John? Is this a good precedent to set, or do you think that we're just getting into more redundant waters going forward? I mean, try to get it right the first time. <laughs> I think is the thing I would say <laughs> first and foremost. You know, the Suicide Squad to this day is still being tweeted about. Release the air cut. That movie looks like a movie, though. It does look like a film that was taken out of the director's hands. And it was given to a trailer company to edit because the trailer was such a big hit with all the music from Queen. It had a certain vibe. And then when they were test screening it, it wasn't that movie. It was they were selling a different movie than what I think David Ayer made. And WB, you got to give some credit. They've gotten their stuff together. They were a mess, I think, early in the DCU. I mean, the whole Josh Whedon Just League, that's a whole you could do a whole podcast just on a series of podcasts. Just Lord on knows we will not. Yeah, we don't need to. <laughs> um, so for me, I think DC is finally doing what most studios are doing is they're giving the director the reins. They're letting them here's, you know, they're obviously going to have their fingers in a little bit, but they're for the most part, they seem to be like, Hey, here's, here's the property. Pitch us what you want. We're going to let you do to the best that we can without getting too much involved. Because this, at the end of the day, does feel like a James Gunn movie. You watch Slither. You watch Super. This feels like a James Gunn film. You watch Aquaman. That feels like a James Wan film. Yeah. Uh, so I think they're doing a really good job of letting the directors kind of, you know, own these films. I think they're learning from their mistakes, specifically for WB and DCEU. And it makes me more excited for the films they have going forward. Like, 
I think the first Suicide Squad has some things that are decent. I think Will Smith is a bigger lead than Idris Alba, and I think he's just yeah. more charismatic. And when it comes to that box office, Will Smith is going to put some butts in seats when you do a summer big action movie. Idris Alba, I don't think, has quite that kind of pull yet. Um, so for me, I think that maybe goes back to the box office. Yes, the pandemic was a huge factor there too, but King Kong Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla, they that did big numbers. But yeah. you had two giant IPs facing each other, and every kid knows who that is. Nobody knows who Bloodsport is. I hear Bloodsport, I think John Claude Van Damme. That's the first thing that pops in my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> I never heard of this character before. But you know what? Will Smith's character, I actually heard of his character before. He's somebody in the comics that's a little more front center. He's more of a known as a Batman villain. So for me, all those things are kind of like factors. I wanted to add just one quick thing, too, which is there. The James Gunn of it, I'm just going to bring in this more of like industry thing. Warner Brothers, when Disney made that mistake, which Disney, of course, realized was a mistake. That's why they hired him back. There was a lot of bad actors in everything that happened to James Gunn. They wanted to get in the James Gunn business because for folks that don't remember James Gunn's sort of trauma, which folks, if you don't know trauma, the Toxic Avenger, a swamp thing, those were all made by the studio called Troma. They were known for like really gory horror and genre type fare. And that's literally where James Gunn learned how to make filmmakers. Think Roger Corman, think very sort of, you know, low budget, quick, make it happen. And that kind of filmmaker, that kind of writer, director, filmmaker is brilliant because they have the entire DCEU catalog and he can go through that and be like, what can I take? <laughs> what can I blend? What can I move? Like arm fall off boy is like a legit thing from the comics. And that is the type of thing that James Gunn can do. That's why you're able to take something like Guardians of the Galaxy and turn it into a billion dollar franchise. That's what they wanted. And so I really don't blame them for like hopping him up. It makes sense. He's somebody who can make something out of nothing. And I think that's what makes him like an invaluable sort of filmmaker. Also shout out to the two DCEU animated films, Suicide Squad, uh, Hell to Pay and Assault on Arkham. I love I love uh, both of those, and I think they're better than anything that WDB has done in live action. Sorry to say. Ah, oh, wow, okay. There you go. All right. They're, it, they're it, really good. They're really good. The, the director thing brings up an interesting topic because, JT, you said that you prefer the, the MCU, James Gunn, to yep. the, the DC. I guess we still refer to it loosely as the <laughs> DCEU, James Gunn. Simply because you do like some sort of, um, you know, limitations, I guess, when it comes to storytelling or uh, violence or language and, and that kind of stuff. And you think that the jokes work better in Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I said at the time, and, and I think I still feel this way, is that I think sometimes we do get too beholden to a specific director where I, I don't think that James Gunn is the only person competent enough to make a great Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So I didn't agree with Disney firing him at all, but I also think that somebody else could have come in and made a great Guardians 3. I'm happy he's back doing it, but if he's doing something else like The Suicide Squad, I think that I might appreciate that a little bit. I want to see what else James Gunn does. And going back to Guardians 3, is that something that excites you? Or is that something where you're like, but we've seen him do those. Let him do something else. No, because like I was saying earlier, I think that for some reason that property seems to bring the best out of him. And like I said, because some of the things in this movie reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy. So to me, it's like, okay, he kind of already found his lane with Guardians. It's cool that he got to make a Suicide Squad movie because he got to really push that R-rated gore level. 
But for me, Taika Waititi is going to direct the Guardians of the Galaxy in the beginning of this new Thor movie. I think Taika is a director. If James Gunn couldn't make it for this third film, he's somebody who could have. He's already in MCU. He probably could have gone in there and made a really good Guardians of the Galaxy film. I think James Gunn is also. I think he's obviously talking to Taika, and I think he's helping guide his hand a little bit for the beginning of you know Thor: Love and Thunder. So I do think somebody else could come in and make another Guardians film, but I'm glad he's the one doing it because I really love those first two films. I'm in that rare category where I kind of enjoyed volume two more than I did the first film. And I remember watching the first film with you, Ellis. We we, we got an early screening for that. <laughs> and again, I love that movie and I love seeing this fresh new take on MCU. And I love seeing James Gunn's his humor. His humor really just comes through in those movies. It's not that I don't think he should make R-rated movies or he needs to go violent. Just for me specifically, I think it just works better for me when he's in the Guardian universe where he can't explode people and rip people in half. Not that I don't like that stuff. I love that stuff. But for me, it just works better for Gunn to be in that Guardians of the Galaxy universe. Jack, does it feel like James Gunn is this nice family guy when he's making the Guardians movies and then he just had this crazy weekend in Vegas with his buddies away from the the, the wife and the kids and he just got to go nuts and make this movie? And then now he's back to the suburbs and we're going to get another Guardians 3. I mean, to a certain extent, um, you know, JT, you mentioned like, you know, you feel like WB got it together. They're letting these directors uh, have have more freedom. And I think to a certain respect, you're right. But I think it is more about the framework because like when you look at something like Peacemaker and what they were able to do to push forward and make that a series, you don't do that unless you've already sort of looked at what, what Disney is doing with Disney plus. I really don't think it's so much that Warner brothers got it together. I just think they understood it was not about making an extended universe that looked exactly like the MCU. It was about taking the aspects of that universe that works and applying it to your universe. And like Sony's already doing that. Like Sony is literally showing with like maybe with Morbius, but definitely with Venom, how they're going to be able to like play, but they don't have to feel like these, all these people need to like literally team up to do something. They can, they can just figure out a way to understand like, yes, these all play on the same chessboard, but they don't have to be playing the same game. And you talk about a spinoff show that, in my opinion, because I, I think Rotten Tomatoes is right here. I, I love the Suicide Squad, 90%, totally fair. Peacemaker is blowing me away. Wow. I am amazed with how funny it is, with how quick it is, with how great John Cena is. I, I, he was great as Peacemaker in the movie, but the fact that he is carrying this show, and you have great supporting cast in there, too. I just, I, I fell in love with this show from the first episode. From the first time he gave Eagley a hug, I knew that this was a special program. JT, are you in on Peacemaker? Is it, or are you feeling yourself a little left out in the cold with this one too? No, I'm really enjoying Peacemaker more so than I did uh, Suicide Squad. I think John Cena is so right for that character. And I think maybe the 30-minute block that they're, they're limited to per episode is just a perfect amount of this kind of James Gunn content for me. I think like a two-hour Suicide Squad, again, had a fun time. But I feel like Peacemaker... He's even allowed to go a little bit farther than he was able to go in the Suicide Squad. And I think maybe that's even better for him. If I'm going to have him go R-rated and over the top, maybe I need to go a little bit farther than what he could do in a movie theater. Maybe it's a little better for HBO and streaming because HBO, they don't care. Their gloves are off. They're like, you can do whatever you want. Just make sure you have an episode at the end of the week. So maybe that works even better for me on HBO. The Jacqueline Coley take on Peacemaker is... So Jacqueline is in the middle of award season 
I tried. I really did try. I really did try. I was like, I don't want to say it. I'm sorry. I watched the movie. I watched this movie, obviously. You did your homework. I did and... my homework. And then they were like, Mark was like, and I'm going to watch like a couple episodes of Peacemaker. And I because I like actually saw Mark Ellis. It was funny. Our ships cross paths in real life, ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah. the other day, uh, yesterday, sorry. And uh, I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but I want then, to. I want then, to. I no, want then I'll, to. I'll flip it. I'll, I'll stay with you and I'll flip the question into this. If you had to have a show based on your knowledge of the Suicide Squad, which character do you want to see get a spinoff? Who's your favorite character from the Suicide Squad that you're like, I want more from them? It could be Harley Quinn. It, it could be Peacemaker. It could be, it could be Weasel. Pre-drowning. I was just about you, you... to say, what are you talking about? The best character is Weasel. I absolutely want to know what the hell. First of all, joke of jokes. That's uh, his brother. That's, that's Sean Jay, Gunn. That's Sean yeah. Gunn, who also was the body of Groot and Rocket through several mm -hmm. of both of the. So the voices are done by Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper. But on set, he plays their physical uh, manifestations and acts alongside the characters. And he's actually shown up in the in the movies is an actual character as well. It's a great but, actor. But yeah. he gave him Weasel. Like that is some childhood. You broke my Tonka truck being manifested in real life. You, uh, what are you going to give me a part? Oh yeah, bro. Which one? He's good. Uh, He's a great character. He's what would a Weasel, weasel. show be? <laughs> I don't think he could talk. <laughs> I don't even know. Just put Weasel and King Shark together and just let them have an go. adventure. Weasel okay. and King Shark. The adventures of Weasel and King Shark. Come on. Yeah, it's like Calvin Hobbes. I love it. Um, JT, I'll close out here with you. Your, uh, your final thoughts on uh, the Suicide Squad, including which character would you trust on an actual mission? The character I would trust on the actual mission. Well, it's not John Cena because he killed one of my favorite characters in the movie. Uh, let's see. Who would I trust? I guess you got to go with Rat Girl. Rat Girl, I think, was kind of the highlight of the movie for me in a lot of ways. I think her story, you know, again, talking about Taika Waititi just a little bit, a little cameo from him playing the dad. Is it Rat Catcher? Is that what his name yeah. is? Rat yeah, Catcher. Rat Catcher. Yeah. I think she was one of the, you know, highlights of the movie for me. And I love that little emotional arc you get at the final finale where she calls all the shark, all the sharks, all the <laughs> rats, and you get that flashback to her father. So, yeah, I'll, if you're going to do a series, I would like to see one with her. Because I think she was not fleshed out enough. Because with all these characters, you can only do so much for each character. And I yeah. think she's somebody who, like, with her backstory, I could, just, I would love to see a movie just about her or a series on HBO Max about her. I think that'd be fantastic. Well, I said I was going to give you the last word, but let's also bring back Producey Lucy. Your favorite character from the Suicide Squad, Producey Lucy. I know that you're sort of on the JTE side of things, <laughs> but you have to have taken some enjoyment from this movie. Who gave you the most? Polka Dot Man. I David love David. Yeah. Bring him yes. back. Yeah. That character, it devastated me that he dies in the end. Spoiler alert. Um, I I've always loved watching him. I love when he shows up in films. I think he's an incredibly underrated actor. And the fact that um, Gunn gave him this awesome role, probably the biggest role of his life at this point, mm -hmm. is really exciting. I think, you know, he, he would have been a character that I would have wanted like a sideshow with just because I thought he was so compelling. And if folks want to know why we haven't seen a lot of him, Paul Dano has probably been stealing roles from him <laughs> from the better part of a decade because those two have very similar energy. All right, let's move on to Mailbag. 
The music for Mailbag you hear playing there, it's one of our favorite parts of the show because we get to hear from you, our esteemed members of the Ketchup Crew. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. And after I read this email, I also want to give you all a special task. Everybody listening, watching, I have a task for you because we have a movie that we're excited to talk about, but we want to get your thoughts on it. And I have a way for you to do that, to communicate with us after this email from Logan Desris. And here is Logan. Logan says, hey, Rotten Tomatoes, my name is Logan, and I'm a 20-year-old film student from Pennsylvania. You guys should do an episode on why Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about 2008's Speed Racer. I think that the movie is ahead of its time and the people weren't ready for it. The Wachowskis had to offer. It has style and character coming out the wazoo, and it also has an extremely resonant emotional core. Sidebar. As much as I appreciated the new Matrix movie, Speed Racer has better kung fu scenes. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the podcast. Keep it up, Logan. Well, thank you, Logan. That's a cool name, by the way. Um, I don't think anybody's ever going to give you crap on the playground if your name is Logan. So parents out there, name your kids Logan. Speed Racer, I've seen it once, and I saw it in a theater, and maybe, like Logan's email said, I was not ready for it because I did not have a good time with that movie. Afterwards, I did because I realized sitting right behind me with his kids, Slash from Guns N' Roses. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 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 JT, were you a big Speed Racer guy when it came out? No, I'd never actually seen it from beginning to end. I've only caught glimpses of it on TV, like TNT. It's, it looks like exactly what I think the fans wanted. It looks like an anime brought to life. Uh, it looks like a lot of colors, like somebody just threw a starburst and exploded onto the screen. It's something I wouldn't, wouldn't mind going back and watching, though, because it's a film that a lot of people do champion. A lot of people, it's one of those movies you're like, oh, have you ever seen this? It's amazing. It's a masterpiece. It, was, it wasn't received well at its time, but now it's one of those movies that are just amazing and awesome. I'll check it out sometime. I, I mean, I like the Wachowskis have been really hit or miss for me. Uh, mostly miss, honestly, in the last few years. Uh, Cloud Atlas has things I really appreciate in it. But this me is, too. Yeah, yes. it has, has things I appreciate. I'm just if it's not Jupiter Ascending, which to me was like a bad fever dream that somebody somehow got put onto a film. I'll go check out Speed Racer. It's got John Goodman. I'll watch anything with John Goodman. <laughs> I, I see no holes in that argument. Jacqueline, we might be doing Speed Racer coming up, I guess, thanks to Logan. But there's another movie that it might be our most my most mo- like requested movie of all time for us to talk about on the podcast. And in order for us to do it, we have a challenge for all of our fans out there. We need you to send in a uh, preferred video, but it could be audio as well, to our email. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com telling us why you really want us to cover Steven Spielberg's Hook. That's the movie <laughs> that we see so many times. Emails, I get tweets about it, I get DMs. Why aren't you talking about Hook? I have my feelings on Hook. I don't know if they're going to be popular feelings on Hook. But for everybody out there, send in a video. Take a quick video of yourself. You can do it on your phone and your computer. Make it as high quality or as low quality as you want. It can be audio. Just let us know because we might play your recording on the show. And if we get enough of them, hell, you could be the whole show. So make sure that you send those into rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Get on that this week because, Jacqueline, I think Hook would be a pretty popular episode. I think Cook would be a pretty popular episode because I do believe I we've been like reading emails about it since like the first week of the show. (laughs) Like people are like legit about Hook. I don't think I have controversial opinions about Hook, but I do have questions, as I like to say. I do have questions. um, Yeah, it's I think it's one of Spielberg. I think he's only got like three rotten movies. And I think that that might be one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you all know? I I just saw this in the research, too, that uh, James Gunn 
is uh, buddies with Michael Rooker, as we mentioned. They go way back. He keeps killing him off in movies. <laughs> so, spoiler alert for some other James Gunn production. So, Slither, Michael Rooker blows up. Yeah. And Super, his head gets slammed. The Belko experiment. I remember that. That's a fun movie. Gets his head smashed. And then Guardians of the Galaxy 2, obviously, has a very emotional moment with Star-Lord. And then the Suicide Squad, his head explodes. So if you're a fan of a Michael Rooker character in a James Gunn movie, don't get too attached. Um, wow. But I am always attached at the hip to a former intern at Schmoes No, former <laughs> engineer at Schmoes No, now doing wonderful things on his own JTE movie things. He does a lot of reviews there. Then also Film Review Weekly, the new podcast with Jacob Taylor and JTE. I know that those are some places that the kids can check out your latest work. Uh, what else is going on? What do you got in the pipeline? What's your social media handle, sir? Yeah, at JTE Movie Thinks on Twitter. I don't really use Instagram, so just hit me up on Twitter. Yeah, just around LA watching movies. You know, I like to just go up to random people after a movie and tell them my review because I got to tell somebody. And if they're not listening <laughs> to podcasts, I'll just go up to complete strangers and be like, here's what I thought about this movie. And usually they run away. You would rather navigate the cesspool that is Twitter over than just post some lovely. You have a beautiful dog. I do. And, I, I, and he, he has you're not some, sharing Dalton with the world okay. on Instagram. He does have his own Instagram. I believe it's at Dalton the Bulldog. So feel free Good. to go okay. with him. He's adorable. Oh, he's such a sweetheart too. All right, Jack, we got to get out of here because uh, you have a Super Bowl party to prepare for, and you can try to convince me to come over. I'm just going to be watching it in the comfort of my own home. Me and Molly the Wonder Dog. My prediction. I might be pulling for the Bengals a little bit, but I still think the Rams are just too powerful of an offense and too tough of a defense. So I'm going to say Rams 31, Bengals 27. Anybody else want to toss their picks in there before we say goodnight? Uh, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead, JT, because mine's not going to be that great. <laughs> I, I, I'll just say my heart is with the Bengals. My, my head is with the Rams. On paper, they are the better team, but you never know. The better team doesn't always win, so I'm just hoping for a good game. But if I'm going to bet money... I'm going on the Rams. If I'm just going to do a friendly bet, give me the Bengals. Uh, me, personally, I have two friends that are very big. Like, my friend Akila actually just got retweeted by the Bengals. Uh, oh, yes. So she's, like, the biggest Bengals fan I know. Her and I have uh, been talking extensively throughout the playoffs. About oh, you have? Yes, definitely. Bengals, yeah. Yes. Uh, another one of my friends is, like, a huge Rams fan. Literally has season tickets. Uh, wow. Also spent probably half of his kids' college fund to get Super Bowl <laughs> tickets. Uh, but I just can't support New York and LA winning things. Sorry. They win enough. So who day? <laughs> so go Cincinnati. Uh, Producy Lucy, do you have a vote for the Super Bowl? You're going to nope. be watching it. <laughs> <laughs> what Listen, do you do? I'm I don't understand what you people Nebraska. do for that whole We don't day. have a pro team. So I've been out of this race a long time. <laughs> go Cornhuskers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Nebraskans, there's Nebraskans that no, we do. We like teams, normally they it's like the Vikings think... or the Green Bay Packers or the Kansas City Chiefs because yeah. they're close. Yeah. I, I say this as someone to anyone listening from Nebraska. If you're a Packers fan, I know. <laughs> I, hey, don't worry. There's plenty of room on the Washington Commanders bandwagon. <laughs> so enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. If you're looking to make a smart bet for the Super Bowl on Sunday, bet on there being a Top Gun Maverick trailer. You're welcome. Nice. I think you're going to take a lot of money. I cannot wait for that movie, and I cannot wait to talk Top Gun, hopefully on the show one day. All right. Once again, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Send in those hook support, uh, the, the hate, whatever, however you feel about hooks. Send it video, audio, email us. RT is wrong 
at RottenTomatoes.com. As always, you can subscribe, rate, review, however you're enjoying the show, however you like listening to your podcast or watching us on streaming. Support us through that platform. We always appreciate it. And next week, we have, it's a double dose of guests because we have the fellows from Blurds in the Hood, Jay and Winston, are going to be coming by, and we are talking Transformers. This has been the Suicide Squad with our special guest, JTE. For him, for Jacqueline Coley, for producing Lucy, engineer Brian, and everybody here, the team at Rotten Tomatoes, Dalton the Bulldog, and Molly the Wonder Dog. And Jacqueline, your, how's your pup? Okay, we'll, we'll talk on Transformers. Yeah. We got to get out of here. Yeah. My name is Mark Ellis. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong.